Cowabunga, doochie doodats, and welcome to the 200th episode of Turtles Forever. First of all, I want to say thank you so much to Ryan from Talking Snicked Podcast for coming on. We had such a blast with him uh, talking Ninja Turtles, and I highly encourage that you go check out his show, which is called Talking Snicked. It's a podcast dedicated to the Wolverine and the X-Men, and he does such a wonderful job. He's been doing it for years, and uh, I'm a big fan of him and his show, and I'll definitely leave a link in the show notes so you can check him out. So thank you, Ryan, man. It was a lot of fun, and definitely hope to have you on again soon, man. Also, since it's 200 episodes of Turtles Forever, I mean, really, that's that's not technically true. Turtles Forever was all born from a show called Turtle Flakes. And speaking of Turtle Flakes, I would be remiss if I didn't give a big slice of pizza out to three people that really made the show special. Um, so first of all, obviously, um, for those of you who remember the early days, my original co-host, Josh Witt, Jay Weezy, <laughs> the master of the whirling pizzas. I just want to say thank you so much, Josh, if you're listening, um, for agreeing to come on all those years ago, for everything you added to the show. Josh was the Donatello of the show. He really helped me with podcasting early on, and I'm very, very grateful for you know all of his advice and for his friendship throughout the years. We, we're still close to this day, and I just really appreciate you, Josh. The second person I wanted to give a big slice to is somebody I haven't mentioned in a while, and his name is Thaddeus Manning. Thaddeus came on our show a couple years into it, and he just was such a wealth of knowledge and added so much heart and passion to the podcast because he, I mean, he bleeds green, absolutely bleeds green. And uh, I really appreciate everything he added to our episodes. And the April's Antiquities segment uh, where you hear, um, excuse me, the Turtle Comp segment where you hear April, that was thanks to Thaddeus. He got that clip for us, and I still use that clip to this day anytime we have a TurtleCom hotline voicemail. So I really appreciate everything, Thaddeus, and it, uh, I, I, we, I, we've kind of lost touch over the years. Uh, uh, so I, I hope if you're listening to this, man, you're probably not, but if you are, I uh, hope you're doing well, my friend, and uh, Cowabunga, thank you for everything. And of course, uh, the, the last person that I wanted to mention is Josh O'Rourke. Josh O'Rourke was the yin to my yang. We are so, we were so different, but yet our personalities mesh so well, I think, and added a lot of fun to the show. And gosh, we did many, many episodes together, probably 60 or 70, maybe even more than that. Um, and that, that's a long time. And we, we developed a really, really close friendship. Uh, so Josh, he added so many things to the show, added a lot of magic to the show. And uh, I just want to say thank you, Josh, for everything you did. Um, thank you for, you know, always showing up, always agreeing to show up and uh, talk turtles. And and I'll always be appreciative of I'll always be appreciative of what Josh added to the show. I mean, I think that was you don't realize it at the time, but in hindsight, you, you sometimes you realize, wow, that was a special that was a special time. And uh, I'm very, very grateful Turtles Forever would not exist if it weren't for Turtle Flakes first. And Turtle Flakes wouldn't have existed if I didn't have the great co-host that I had. Uh, that would be Josh Witt, Thaddeus Manning, and Josh O'Rourke. So what's Turtles Forever all about? Well, Turtles Forever is basically, if, if I'm being honest with y'all, it's my love letter to Turtle Flakes. The original vision for Turtle Flakes was to go back into time, into different eras, and cover different Turtles things. And that's kind of what I want to do with Turtles Forever. First of all, you can't recreate something that was in the past and recreate and conjure up that old magic, and nor do I want to. 
Although I did include some things that I loved from the original show that I, that I try to put back in the show uh, into Turtles Forever, like the intro song, um, some of the segments I'd like to bring back, like the Rad Relic segment, um, some more toy reviews and, and things like that. Um, uh, some more interviews. And I also want to say, speaking of new directions, I also want to say thank you to Kirkland for agreeing to come on two years ago. It's getting on two years and we've we've been covering, we've probably done about 30 or 40 episodes already of uh, New Turtle stuff. And I'm very, very grateful for Kirkland. He's added so much creativity and humor to the show. You know, again, so much more fun doing a show with a co-host than doing it alone. And of course, my friend Zach, my, my fellow co-host Zach from Boyaka Show uh, podcast. Man, we've had such a blast getting to know each other in the last couple of years, and I, I'm proud to consider him a friend. I guess what I'm trying to say about ooh, six minutes later, I'm so sorry, is that I'm grateful for the past, grateful for the present, and I'm excited for the future. Hope you all enjoyed this episode, guys. Have a great month. And as always, my friends, cowabunga dudes. <laughs> Guys, do either of you shellheads know anything about this? What is it? I don't know, but I found it in my office. The door was wide open, and the time scepter had been knocked over. Oh, good, good night. night. Jeez. Well, judging by the handwriting, it's probably Ice King. Maybe Meatwad. Ice King was going on about having to talk to you. Who? Uh, yeah. Who? Uh, Ice King, he thinks that Renette wants to, like, run off with him in one of his fairy tales or something. Yeah, he was going on about wanting you to know that he only has eyes for some girl that he's never talked to, and and we aren't really thoroughly convinced that she exists. You mean that weird blue guy that gawks at me whenever I go to the catering table? Oh, that guy? Yeah, he was looking at me weirdly, too. I thought I just upset him or something. (laughs) Yeah, he's pretty particular about his catering. Wait, what? I don't have a thing for that guy. I was looking at him with concern. He had a slack jaw worse than next mutation splinter. And I thought that it was going to fall off of his face. He looked like he was in pain. That, and he was arguing with a little rolling ball hamburger meat or something. Alright, uh, as much as I want to leave them whenever, wherever they are, there's no telling what they could be messing with. This could turn into a Days of Future Past incident very quickly. (laughs) More like if we don't get them, they won't last incident. Okay, look, don't ask me how I know this, but I'm guessing they're in 1985. Knowing them, they probably have some scam going on. It probably won't be hard to find them. Okay, let's go. Ryan, you want to come with us? We can do the show from there. I'll pack the analog equipment. Let's just start the show. They're bound to show up. If not, we can check the paper for any events that are going on. Maybe have some shady food truck that they run.
dudes, Michelangelo here. You know, the master of the whirling pizzas. Greetings, minions. This is Lord Crab. Hello, everybody. My name's Grayson. And you, my friend, are listening to Turtles Forever. Brought to you by my radical dudes, Bebop and Rocksteady. I crack myself up. Cowabunga, dudes, you dudettes, and welcome to another episode, the 200th episode of Turtles Forever. I'm your co-host, Rob, and join with me, as always, on these Turtles Forever episodes is my main man, my partner in Ninja Turtle Crime, Mr. Kirk Leonardo. How are you, buddy? Hey, man, I'm good. Well, fantastic. I know. We're here in uh, 1985 here, and it is a special occasion because we also have our good friend, a legendary X-Men co-host, Ryan. How are you from Talking Sick Podcast? How are you, buddy? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, gentlemen, thanks for having me on. It's a, a huge pleasure. It's an honor to be on Turtles Forever. Coming on for your 200th. This This is awesome. Oh, dude, it is awesome having you, man. It is really like something we've wanted to do for quite some time. And for those of you guys who might not know, uh, <laughs> Ryan, Ryan's responsible for, for every dime that I have spent in the last two or three years on X-Men <laughs> stuff. He has a wonderful X-Men podcast called Talking Snicked. Um, I actually found out about Ryan's X-Men podcast because you used to do a, a Ninja Turtles podcast called Lone Rat and Cubs and I loved it. Um, I remember you uh, promoting that a little over a year ago and then I, I was like wow does, does this guy do any more podcasts? He, he's great and sure enough you've been doing the Wolverine podcast for quite some time so if you wouldn't mind real quick would you tell us all about your podcast and, and then we can kind of get into everything that um, got you into the Turtles. Sure yeah thank you. Yeah, I do an X-Men podcast, uh, particularly one that covers Wolverine. Uh, I've always been a, a big Wolverine fan. And as I discovered podcasts and eventually made the move into podcasting myself, uh, there were always like several X-Men podcasts out there. Uh, but there wasn't really any that covered Wolverine. And being on social media, you'd see people kind of, you know, downplaying Wolverine's importance and stuff like that. And I just felt that like he wasn't getting his due uh, so I decided to do a podcast all about Wolverine and focusing on a lot of the different aspects that make him such an interesting character, such a multifaceted character, uh, his children, how he is as a father, his background, like all kinds of stuff. And uh, it just kind of ballooned from there. I, I recently started covering the X-Men, the animated series, episode by episode with a secondary show called Snicktoons. So like that's been a lot of fun as well. But yeah, I'm just a huge X-Men fan, and I just wanted to share my fandom with anyone else who, who was like-minded. Absolutely, man. Well, I mean, as I was listening to your show, when I when I discovered it, I was like, oh my gosh, you do such a good job just being a, a, just a lone solo podcaster, summarizing the stories and your thoughts on them. It's very articulate, very professionally done, and it's so well described, each comic that you cover, that like I feel like I've already read the issues. But thanks to you, I've been subscribed to Marvel Unlimited for quite some time, kind of digging through all the old Chris Claremont stuff. Yeah, I cannot recommend uh, his his show enough. It's fantastic, guys. So you got to go give it a listen. Um, again, it's called Talking Snicked, and I love the Saturday morning Snick tunes. We've Kirkland and I've even had the privilege of being on uh, to talk about a couple of episodes. So it's been it's been awesome. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I've been listening to it and. Um it's not you don't just cover comics either i mean like there was one episode where i don't remember the guest you had i don't remember his name but you had him on for two parts and you talked about like 
crossover Wolverine Batman like ideas and all kinds of stuff. You do villain spotlights and there, there's a lot of cool stuff that goes on. So it's it's not just it's not just like strictly one issue per episode or or one. I mean, there's like almost like a whole hour of just different topics each week. So it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, thanks, Kirkland. I uh, appreciate that. <laughs> Obviously, you're a big Turtles fan, um, and and you know I, I found I think I connected you with you through Lone Rats and Cubs, Lone Rat and Cubs podcast. So first of all, I guess this is uh, the first question I'm going to ask. You think that podcast will ever make a return? Uh, it's possible. Um, I think as my sons get older and they're able to commit more of their own time to doing the show with me, uh, then it, it's definitely a possibility. Um, I still have the feed alive on like one of my hosts. And so it'd be real easy to just pull it over into the new host that I use uh, to, to start it all up. I still have all the little musical clips and stuff that I would <laughs> add awesome. to the episodes. I still have them in a folder so I could use those. Uh, but I don't know, man. It's there's, there's just so many great TMNT podcasts out there that I, I don't feel like I have anything that I need to say because there's so many fantastic podcasters. You guys, of course, uh, Zach Norris from, from Booyaka show does a great job. And, and you guys are always talking about all the other shows as well that cover turtles. And it just felt like I didn't really need to, to get in there and say anything because everything that needed to be said about the turtles was being said. And so I just kind of went back to being a fan of, of all of you guys and all of the different shows. Oh man, that's awesome. Well, you know, I, one thing I did really like about it was the fact that you had your, your sons on. I just thought that was so unique. So if you ever get back to it, I think that you have a unique premise and a unique voice that, uh, would be really, really cool to see in the Turtles media, man. So, you know, be, you being such a big fan and obviously your, your, it sounds like your family, uh, your sons are, are fans as well. So I got to ask the, uh, the very first question here of, you know, your fandom. What got you into the Turtles? You know, where did it all start for you? Well, I I can pinpoint the time that I became an X-Men fan, but I can't <laughs> really pinpoint the time that I became a Turtles fan. The show, cart, the, you know, the cartoon came out in, in what, December of 1987. It was like all five of the episodes dropped that week or whatever it was. And I was like two and a half years old. So I like I don't have any memories of the first time that I'd ever seen the turtles or the first time that I'd ever played with an action figure or whatever. I just have like distinct memories of of going through like the Burger King drive through and getting the four VHS tapes from the Burger King <laughs> Kids Club. I have like distinct memories of getting like the undercover Don action figure at one of my birthday parties from like three different guests. So I got like <laughs> the same action figure three times for the same birthday. Like I have very distinct specific memories of getting certain things, but I don't really know when it started. I just, I feel like I was uh, indoctrinated the second it hit the airwaves and it's just been a part of my identity uh, ever since. I, I can understand that. Sometimes it's just you can't pinpoint an exact moment, but you know it was so heavily ingrained with your earliest memories. It was just always there, you know. And I love I love that you got three undercover Dons. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and as a kid, Don was like my least favorite turtle. I don't know if like maybe if it's because I was too fake macho and purple just wasn't manly enough for me <laughs> when I was six years old or what. Uh, but like Don was my least favorite. Like I was a Raph guy as a kid. I loved Leo and Mikey. And I just like, I just, 
Don didn't really do it for me. And yet I got three undercover Dons that year. So I think I got some crayons or magic markers and like tried to change the color of the bandana. But, you know, putting orange on top of purple doesn't really work out. So they stayed as undercover Don. <laughs> Well, you met, you mentioned, uh, you know, um, your favorite turtle. So why, why is Raph your guy? I'm just curious. So Raph was my guy as a kid. Uh, my initials are Raph. I always tried to get people to call me that. It never stuck, which is a bummer. <laughs> it would have been a great nickname. Everyone just called me Ryan, you know, real boring and whatnot. Um, but I liked Raph just because in the opening song for the cartoon, you know, he's cool, but rude. I mean, I, I know that it's crude, but it's cool, but rude, you know? And I was like, oh man, I wish I was cool and rude. Cause like, I was a good kid, you know, I followed the rules. I did what my dad told me to do. I didn't talk back or anything. So like Raph was the cool guy that would always have something, you know, fun to say some little quip to say at the end of someone else's sentence and all that. And I just like, I idolized that. I loved that he was so like in your face about it. And of course, you know, his, his major attitude that he has in the live action movie, the night, the 1990 one specifically, I just thought Raph was so cool and I was very mm-hmm. much not cool. So I wanted to be like Raph. Uh, as I got older, especially with uh, when the 2003 series came out and I started watching that one, uh, and like rewatch, which got me rewatching the movies again and everything. Uh, that's when I realized that I actually like Leonardo the most. Like, I think he's, he's like the most admirable of the turtles. Like he has the most qualities that I wish I could emulate as an adult. So Leo is the turtle that I gravitate towards now and who I would consider, you know, he's my turtle. Man, that, I love that answer too. And that, that brings up a great point too, right? That, um, we probably always had, you know, we had our childhood favorite turtle, you know, growing up, but it seems like sometimes as our personalities kind of change over time, we, we tend to gravitate or have more things in common with, with a different type of turtle. And I can completely relate to what you're saying about Leonardo. It, Leonardo was my least favorite growing up. And now as a 36 year old adult, he seems to be the one that I relate to the most. Um, and, you know, sometimes the pressure of being a leader, sometimes, or, you know, of, of our family or whatever it might be, or, or trying to do the right thing and the burden of that sometimes. Um, so I can, I, I completely understand what you're talking about there. And that actually kind of makes me curious for you, Kirkland. I know Michelangelo is your guy. Is he still your favorite no, turtle? No, he, he wasn't. It, it, just kind of like him, everybody kept giving me Michelangelo stuff. <laughs> gotta, I was right. about the same with Raph. I wanted to be the main you know, in my head, I guess Raphael was like the bulky, manly turtle that you know nobody messed with, and because I, you know, I was scrawny and and uh, you know pathetic, so I was like, yeah, I'm gonna be mean like Raphael. And, <laughs> but but I never was him on the video games because I guess because his reach, I was always Donatello because the dagger and reach. Well, that just makes sense. <laughs> but Donatello was my least favorite, and and honestly, well. I was either Donatello or Leonardo. Most of the time, I was just like, eh. I, I would sit around. You know how you do with Netflix or whatever? You, 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 well, I don't have Netflix. But, but you know, you sit around and you look for a show for three hours, and then you're like, I'm not even going to watch anything. <laughs> well, that's how I was when I would like like on Tournament Fighters. I'm like, oh, which one do I be? I know I can't be him. If I'm him, I don't got the swords. Okay, well, if I'm him, I don't have the stick. <laughs> I don't know. I'll just be Leonardo. That's how it was like every single time. <laughs> But yeah, apparently, like if you look at all the pictures, everybody kept getting me Michelangelo stuff. So he's a big Mikey fan. Maybe they were, maybe they were like, 
this kid doesn't know how to party. We better get him. <laughs> we better get him. <laughs> oh. So, so would you say Mikey's your your favorite now? Or I'm excuse me, not not Mikey, but uh, Raph's your favorite now, Kirkland? Uh, uh, Vernon. Vernon, I can. I, I'm I, just I kidding. Can. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 let's just go with Leo. Um, okay, awesome, man. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I don't know. Um, I haven't played Shredder's Revenge, but I'd say if I was going to play through that, I would probably end up being Michelangelo. Very nice, very nice. He seems to be faster. <laughs> I'm a pretty slow guy, so I want to be fast. Yeah. Speaking of which, man, I was I was about to ask this. So Ryan and and so Kirkland, you haven't played yet, but Ryan, have you gotten to play Shredder's Revenge yet? Yes, yes, I have. Uh, <laughs> I pre-ordered it when it was on sale on the on the Switch eShop. Uh, you know, you can't beat ten percent mm-hmm. off, and and of course, on a download, it's you wake up on on the day of release, and it's it's there. Uh, you know, unfortunately, it's a it's a work day, and so I, I had to work. And then I actually had uh, an appointment with an eye doctor. I had to go downtown. Uh, I live like forty miles outside of Denver, so it was a ways to go. Uh, so I didn't really get to play until later on that night and like i was my eyes were dilated so i couldn't really even (laughs) focus very well but i managed to play about halfway through the story mode as leo um and then like on father's day that's just what we did all day is like we just we went through story mode (laughs) with all the playable characters and unlocked each ending and yeah it it was a great time I, i i had an absolute blast playing through is each of the turtles and getting to see all of their like unique animations for all their different moves. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I think Kirkland, you're going to enjoy what they've done with, with Michelangelo and, and all of his move animations. They are fantastic. Does the bicycle kick, doesn't he? I think so. Yeah. There, there's another one. Um, I think he does the spring kick too, which was in turtles three. Like if you pressed a and B on the NES controller, he would do that spring kick. They, they mm-hmm. incorporate a lot of the old special moves from different games, not just, Turtles 2, the arcade game port, or the Manhattan's Project 1, but also, like, you can throw enemies at the screen, uh, just like you could in Turtles in Time. Um, when they grab certain pizzas, they do the spinning sword, or katanas and everything. Uh, there's so many things that they, they took from the old games, but they've also incorporated a lot of new stuff. I thought the soundtrack was killer. The level designs are awesome. I, I'm still gushing over this game. Is it perfect? Probably not. Um, but it's, for, at least for me, I can only speak for me. It's the best Turtles game I've ever I've ever played. But that's just me. Yeah, no, I think I would agree with that. Um, I really the only flaw that I can think of is that uh, it's too short. Like I, I would be happy with sure. like twenty more levels. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I like that it's. I, like I wouldn't say easy because there's definitely some challenging parts, but it's playable. You know, it's it's you can sit down and play it and and learn the game, uh, but it doesn't take away from the replayability. It's just so fun to play, and, and like you'd mentioned, you know, it's got aspects of of uh, Turtles in Time, but it's got stuff from Manhattan Project, and and with the aesthetic of this game being based on the '87 cartoon, they they tried to work some of that stuff in as well. So there's all kinds of fun little references, and yeah, yeah, just just great great fan game uh it's it just fantastic i you know i can honestly say i never as much as i dreamed that a game like this would exist i just didn't think it would happen because i've been waiting for so long <laughs> i was like oh yeah i'm one of those fanboys who's just hoping that this is going to happen one day but it probably never will but here we are 
Um, so going, going back to the video games in the, in the early classic era of stuff. So, you know, early in your childhood, this was kind of just there. Are there any particular cartoon episodes that really stood out to you as a kid? Yeah. Um, I, I know that, uh, when the, when season one, the five episodes of season one, like debuted on TV, my dad recorded it onto like a blank VHS. So growing up, I had all of the first five episodes on one tape. I watched it over and over again. <laughs> And we had another tape that we recorded a bunch of episodes as well that was mostly episodes from season two. Uh, so growing up, like, I maybe watched the same, like, 15, 20 episodes over and over again. <laughs> um, and, like, almost all of my nostalgia is based in those, like, 20 episodes. But if I had a favorite episode, uh, it would probably have to be Sky Turtles. Oh, wow. I, I remember going through the drive through at Burger King. And seeing the sign on, you know, where you put your order and all that and like begging my dad to get one of the tapes. And I, and I think they were like relatively cheap. If, if you bought like a kid's meal, it was like $1.99 and you got one of the VHS tapes, something like that. And so he's like, all right, I'll, I'll get all of them. And we go through and we do our order and we get up to pay. And they only had two different ones left. They had Sky Turtles and the, um, the what is it? The Tale of the Turtle Snatchers, Case of the Turtle Snatchers. Uh, the alien, the one with the alien guys. Um, and like, I was just like so crestfallen that I didn't have the other two. Uh, and so this was like in the town where my grandparents lived, which wasn't too far away from, from where we lived. And uh, like on that drive home, I just like read the back of the VHS box over and over again and just stared at the pictures and everything. And when we got into our town, my dad went through another drive through at the Burger King in our town wow. and picked up the other two tapes for me. And so I had like all four of those tapes and um, I loved Sky Turtles, man. Like I just thought it was such a cool concept and it had the turtle blimp was like a big part of the episode, which was like the vehicle that I always like. I always wanted the turtle blimp in my collection and it's like one of the play sets or vehicles that I never had. Same. Uh, so man. I always love the blimp stuff. Same. Uh, it's so funny you bring up Sky Turtles. That was my first one, too. I thought it was Case of the Killer Pizzas for a long time, but it was Sky Turtles because I remember they had the Bebop and Rocksteady. Remember they had the anti-gravity boots? Uh, <laughs> golly, that takes me back. Yeah, and, like, there's stinky feet, and, like, Michelangelo right? has to, like, tickle <laughs> one of them and stuff. I just, I don't know. Like, as a six-year-old, I just thought that was hilarious. Uh, so I just, I loved that episode. But, yeah, Case of the Killer Pizzas is probably, outside of Sky Turtles, would be my favorite episode. I just, I love the like little Xenomorph pizza guys and they're like bright yellow and stuff. It was just such a cool design and just such a weird episode. Uh, and of course you got like thirsty Irma in there, which is always fun. And it just, I like the Italian guy doing his like awful Italian accent and everything. <laughs> just such a great episode. Uh, and then another one that I really loved was Raphael meets his match. The episode with uh, Mona Lisa when they're on oh, the yeah. like cruise or whatever. I just thought that was so cool. I'm like, oh, wow, Raph has a girlfriend. That's awesome because, you know, he was my favorite at the time. So it was another reason to look up to him. So he got the girls. <laughs> <laughs> that's another reason. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's awesome, man. So uh, you did mention earlier, too, the, the movies. Was the first movie the first one you'd watched or did you see Seeker of the Use first or the third one? I definitely saw them in order because I know that we got them on VHS. So I would have had the, the 1990 movie on VHS before uh, Secret of the Ooze would have hit theaters the following year. So I had seen 
the first one on VHS. I'm pretty sure that we saw Secret of the Ooze in theaters because my birthday is in March, and so we would have like we would have gone to the theater. That would have been like the year I turned six. So I like I'm like I have vague memories of seeing of like going to the theater for my birthday. I'm pretty sure that's what we saw, but I don't really remember. Uh, but I I remember when it came out on VHS and almost wearing the the tape of Secret of the Ooze. As a kid, I always liked Secret of the Ooze better because you know it was funnier and sillier and everything. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, as I've gotten older, I kind of gravitate more towards like 1990 as definitive turtles. But you know, as a kid, I loved Secret of the Ooze. Well, you know, th- that's funny you bring that up because all my friends as a kid uh, loved Seeker the Use more um, because, you know, it had Super Shredder. It had uh, Token Razar, you know. It, it, so those are the things. It you- had Kano. It had Kano, <laughs> for crying out loud, at the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it, it had a bunch of stuff that, you know, the first one didn't have. But I was one of those, I, believe it or not at the time, and I know it sounds hipster of me now, right? But uh, I was one of those defenders <laughs> of the first movie. I was like, no, because that, that was the first movie I ever watched. Uh, so I just already I was, had that nostalgic kind of bias to me. But yeah, I remember everyone loving Secret to Use 2. And I think I, I didn't see that one in theaters. I saw the first movie, but not the second one in theaters. And then I got it on VHS. Um, and I still have my VHS copy of that. I'm actually looking at it right now. So, uh, But oh, yeah, wow. that's awesome, man. I know you're a big fan of the comics. When did you discover them, man? And is there a particular comic that really means a lot to you? Well, uh, like when the first Turtles game came out on the NES uh, and it had the artwork, like mm-hmm. I re- my sister, my oldest sister, she was into comics and knew about comics. She was like 10 years older than me. So she was already pretty cool. And I remember her telling me like, oh, yeah, that's the artwork from one of the covers of Turtles and all that. Um but I like I, I was kind of vaguely aware that there were Turtles comics as a kid, but it was never something that I ever had. Of course, hearing that you know it was low print runs and things like that, and hard to find and all that, it, it, I would have had a hard time even if I was looking for them. Uh, but no, I never got into the Mirage comics until much much later. As far as like IDW series or even anything in between, I, I wasn't really a reader of any of that stuff as it was coming out. I think the first time I actually collected turtles comics like on purpose was in in 2003 they launched a comic book series that was based on the 2003 cartoon Um, and it was like they were written by like peter david or something like that with artwork from this dude named Lashawn. um and like i i read those i I bought those in the shop and and read those i think i had like the first seven issues or whatever and it it like the first two or three of them adapted the cartoon episodes and then they just went off in their own, in their own direction. But that was really the first time that I ever really read turtles. I didn't really get into the comics until actually listening to turtle flakes, an episode where you and uh, Josh O'Rourke were breaking down, I think like city fall or something. It one of those, one of those arcs in like the twenties or thirties, I think. Um, and, and it, it just sounded awesome like it sounded like it was the coolest thing and i'd seen the trades at like barnes and noble and other bookstores and stuff and so i went there one day and just like sat down and read the first volume in the store and like just totally fell in love with it and since then i've been collecting on on comiXology so i that way i don't miss one because it sounds like some of them are kind of hard to find uh and then through comiXology is where i found out that they had trades of like the old mirage stuff and um the tales 
both volumes of that. And so like I've gone through and I've read, I've managed to track down and read, not own, but read all of like volume one of the Mirage series. uh, And then all of volume one and two of tales of the TMNT uh, and everything that's IDW. But I've still like, I've never read volume two of, of uh, turtles. I think that was the Jim Lawson stuff with, with Mirage. Uh, and I've never read volumes three or four, like the image series or when like Peter Laird relaunched it. I've never read either of those either. Um, as far as a favorite issue, I don't really have one. Like I just, I love the entire IDW run. It's just like, it's so fantastic. It's so new and different. And yet it's still just classic turtles. Uh, and I'm, and I'm loving the current stuff too. All the stuff that Sophie Campbell is putting out has been phenomenal. So, so was it a shocker for you when uh, in IDW they included uh, Jenica and Venus and Lita and all all the female turtles? <laughs> so okay, so I have to admit, like I did not see that coming. The like Jenica getting the the well, I don't want to spoil anything, even though it was thirty issues ago. But still, like that whole <laughs> transformation, I didn't see it coming. And when it when it happened, I was like, oh wow, this is really interesting. I was wondering if they would do a turtle because I I know that you know Venus de Milo is is. Uh, she's not very well liked or very well loved. Um, she's very d- divisive, I guess, maybe at, at mm-hmm. best. Um, but I still wanted to see some female turtles in there. Uh, I think it was like a year ago when I was still doing like Instagram posts for Lone Rat and Cubs. I did like a post where it was like the five characters that hadn't made it into IDW yet that I most wanted to see. And I think I had like the punk frogs on there and Mona oh, Lisa awesome. on there and Venus de Milo on there. <laughs> so like Sophie's delivering on like my wish list. So I'm, <laughs> I'm loving it. Uh, but I'm still waiting for, I think the other two I had on there was Sir Malachi from the Mazes and Mutants <laughs> episode of the 2012 series and uh, Kino. Cause it's like, I, I feel bad for Kino, you know? Yeah. I wonder if there's a story behind that. I wonder if there's some kind of, Mm, I don't know, some red tape there uh, as, as far as including <laughs> Kino. But I love that, man. That's great. Yeah, Sophie's done such a great job of incorporating a lot of these older characters. But, uh, but dude, that's fantastic, man. Um, I love hearing kind of different perspectives and different kind of origin stories from fans of, of what got them into the Turtles and everything. Um, and kind of to tie into the comic book that we're going to be covering, um, I know you're a huge Usagi Yojimbo fan. Where did that all begin, and uh, why are you why are you such a big fan of this particular character in comic series? So I got into the character through the action figure. Um, that was really the first time I'd ever seen him, and I just thought this like samurai looking rabbit was was really cool, and and I managed to keep that action figure in like fairly pristine condition compared to pretty much all of the rest of my turtles figures. Like I had lost accessories or like ears had fallen off or like scumbugs antenna had fallen off or or whatever. But my Usagi had always kept in like really great condition until we moved out to Colorado and mysteriously a bunch of my boxes of toys fell off the truck. Um, And so that was kind of the end of, of, you know, Usagi for me. Like I just kind of put the character out of my mind and never really thought about him again until the 2012 series where they did the three episode crossover with Usagi for the final season. And, and I loved that those three episodes, they were so great. And I just thought that Usagi and his bad guy uh, were, were really cool. And I uh, discovered the comics through the IDW crossover, the one that uh, 
that we'll talk about today, that was like the first Usagi comic I ever bought. I was in the shop and I was just buying whatever. And I saw that there was a crossover between TMNT and Usagi Yojimbo. So I, I picked it up and, and read it. And I was like, oh man, I have to read I have to read more. I loved Stan Sakai's writing. I loved his artwork, his approach to storytale, all the little historical winks and nods and things that he put into the Edo period of Japan into this series. It just like it captured my imagination immediately. And so I started trying to track down all the Usagi stuff. It turns out it's like pretty hard to find, at least if you're not going the eBay route. Um, and so I, I started collecting it all on um, Comixology. They were doing like this huge sale um, at the very beginning of 2020. And so I just, I bought everything that was out up to that point and like binge read the series and then binge read it immediately a second time. And it like, it's just fantastic. Like it's been the same guy writing it and drawing it since its inception in like late 1984, since it first appeared all the way up to today, it's been the same guy in charge of everything. And it's just such a very well-developed and rich world. He's put so much of himself into the book that like, I just, I, I can't not be a fan of, of Usagi. Man, that that's awesome. Cause I, I have, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I know virtually nothing about Usagi Ojimbo except for what I've seen in the cartoon series and then the comic we're about to cover, the uh, TMNT uh, Usagi Ojimbo crossover. So could you summarize, you know, the the series as a whole? Like, what is the Usagi Ojimbo story all about? Yeah, it's actually surprisingly simple, Rob. <laughs> oh, sweet. Like, despite the fact that there's like almost 300 issues and it's been going on for, you know, 38 years, <laughs> uh, it, it's actually a very simple story at heart. It is the story of a wandering Ronin in the Edo period of Japan that just happens to be a fictional version of that world where all the people are anthropomorphic animals. Um, and it's just, him going on adventure after adventure as he wanders through the countryside. He, he comes across brigands and, you know, corrupt lords and all kinds of stuff, street performers, merchants, fellow samurai. Uh, it's just one adventure after the next, all kinds of like fun samurai hijinks. Uh, and, and it's because it's such a simple approach to storytelling you can jump in at any point and not be completely lost in 30 years of continuity because the story itself is just so light. Oh, man. Well, you, you sold me, man. Because <laughs> sometimes with comic series, especially my run with uh, like X-Men or anything like that or, or Batman, you're, you're afraid because there's so many different iterations of, of our beloved characters there's so much going on and with crossovers and everything, you're a little intimidated. You're like, I don't even know where to start and you know, you get a little overwhelmed. So it's good to just jump into kind of a simple but yet profound story like this. So, cool. Hello, Violators. You're in Casey's comic classroom. Prepare to be schooled. Uh, well, all right, guys. Well, today we are going to be reading, as we've alluded to, the TMNT Usagi Ojimbo crossover that came out in 2017. And I know I had this issue somewhere, but for the life of me, I couldn't find it. But it is on Comixology Unlimited, and I was able to track it down that way. So we're just going to go ahead and walk through it here. And um, I've got mine pulled up. 
And actually, I wanted to talk about the ending first or the notes at the very back of the book first. Uh, because there was a little interview with Stan Sakai that I wanted to at least read some of the things that he had talked about. So it says here, uh, this is during the interview, it says, Usagi has been a, a part of the TMNT comic book universe since the late 80s. How did the first crossover come about? So Stan Sakai, he answers and says, Usagi was first published in 1984, the same year the TMNT issue one came out. There were very few back then uh, black and white books that, that were out at the time. So we wrote fan letters to each other. Which I love that. I could totally see Peter Laird, Kevin Eastman, and Stan Sakai writing letters to each other about how awesome <laughs> each other's comic is. Uh, and in one of those, I enclosed a very quick drawing of Usagi with the turtles and was very surprised when it was printed in the Donatello one-shot, which I've seen that. That is awesome. If I had known it was going to be printed, I would have made a much better drawing. The first crossover story was for Shellshock. I was invited to contribute to that anthology along with many other creators. So the interviewer, Ted Adams, asks, It's unusual for a, co for a creator-owned character like Usagi to be included in another property's TV and toys. Was that a result of your relationship with Kevin and Pete? Stan says, Definitely. The Turtles already had their TV series and merchandising line, and I was sitting with Peter at a San Diego Comic-Con when he asked if I would like uh, Usagi to be in their series and toy line. I mean, who would say no to that? I mean, come on. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, he's like, I jumped at the opportunity. It was a lot of fun working with their company, Mirage. I would later take Usagi to Mirage Publishing and did a crossover for the first story arc. Next question. I remember buying the original Usagi Playmates toy line in, or toy in 1989. Do you have a favorite version from the various toys and TV shows? Stan says, I still have a fondness for the first Playmates figure. That's the one you had, right? I met with the sculptor and saw the original wax sculpt. The detailing was just amazing. I got quite a few comments about how super buff he is, <laughs> but you should have seen the version we declined. Playmates has always been great to work with, and I'm looking forward to this new incarnation of Usagi, the Usagi action figure. Uh, Ted Adams says, Usagi often teams up with Leonardo. Is he your favorite turtle? Stan answers, yes, he is. There is the connection because they both use swords and their personalities just seem to match. And the last question, what can you tell us about the latest crossover? Uh, and this is a great kind of synopsis for our story today. Namazu was inspired by the legend of a giant catfish that lives under the Japanese islands whose movements are the cause of the frequent earthquakes. A great hero was able to pin the fish under a massive rock at the Kashima Shrine. In my story, a piece of the rock had broken off weakening its power, and the catfish now threatens to devastate the entire country. It is up to Usagi, the turtles, and Kakera, my version of Splinter, to replace the stone fragment. I guess J, demonic spearman who thinks himself an emissary of the gods, wants the country destroyed and is determined to stop them with his horde of mercenaries. The story climaxes in a huge double-double <laughs> page spread of all the characters in battle during the huge earthquake. So with that, um... I vote we just jump right into this one here. So I've done a lot of talking. Our, our legendary guest here, would you like to start us off with our comic today? Uh, yeah, I would be honored, yes. Awesome, man. Yeah, so the, the first few pages opens with your, your typical Stan Sakai battle, you know, where we already have a sword duel going on. We've got Usagi himself here taking on what appear to be a bunch of different brigands. I just love how, like, the way that he draws the action, you know, the, every sword stroke and stuff has gravity to it. 
Mm. Uh, and he puts so much emotion in the faces of the characters. Like he really does tell the story with how the characters are interacting with each other. Like he lets his art tell the story for him. Uh, but we get like a couple of pages of Usagi on this battle fighting these brigands. And eventually he fights them all off. Uh, a few of them do fall victim to his katanas, uh, but the rest of them kind of run away and we see a group of travelers, about four travelers, who are off to the side. And they immediately say, like, oh, thank you, Usagi-san. Thank you. And Usagi doesn't even know these people. Uh, he, and he asks them, like, do, you, do I know you? And they're like, oh, no, but we were told that you'd rescue us. And, you know, he's the old one's waiting for you in the cave. Which, to me, kind of sounds ominous. But, you know, Usagi is a pretty trusting <laughs> guy. And so he goes to check it out. Absolutely. Kirkley, you want to take it from there? Yeah, okay. So um he's walking down the path and uh he says the let's see. Sorry. Comicsology. <laughs> he's waiting for me, huh? Well, this is a mystery too. Intriguing uh too intriguing to be annoyed or annoyed, ignored. Uh boy, that was exciting, but the old one assured us uh that we would be safe for the remainder of our journey. So they're you know, they're, they're talking to themselves as they walk off and Usagi's going towards this cave and he wanders through. At first, I didn't know what was up. I was like, what's with the dinosaurs? But <laughs> every, everything's anthropomorphological. So, yeah. Yeah, he walks through. It's it's by a waterfall um, and he goes through. It's like this it's, it's this path with like bamboo shoots that have been, it looks like they've been like, you know, cut out by hand. Mm-hmm. Like uh, leading the path to the cave, and we see like these—I don't know what kind of dinosaurs they are—but they're on rocks in this stream, and they're eating fish. And then all of a sudden, um, an earthquake happens, and you get a big long onomatopoeia there across the top. To it's—it's it's not rumble; it's just rumb or yeah, rumb. <laughs> like, so it's like a really long earthquake. It's too long to fit it all on the page. So he eventually oh wait nope sorry comicsology he gets over to the other side and rumble again it does fit on the page this time and it finally stops and like there's rocks falling from the ceiling into the stream and he says shoo it subsides uh, it wasn't a very big one well okay i was wrong it wasn't a very big one but they've been occurring more often as of lately and uh he gets into the cave and and coming from the cave there is a you're late that's the dialogue <laughs> box coming from it. And he gets in there, and uh, Kakara, at first I was like, Splinter? And I was like, Kakara, what would it be called if he was on Dragon Ball Z? Kakara. <laughs> no, but, but Kakara. <laughs> and he said, as I said, you're, you're late. I did not know. I, w- I did not know I was expected. So he's like, I required your help once again, Usagi. And, oh, and, and I'm kind of wondering, I'm like, how do you even get, why is he in this cave? You know, but, but like, you know, things get explained, but I'm like, does he live here? <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, and, uh, I carry the most valuable object, which I must deliver due to the Tashima shrine. But there is one who knows of my mission and would stop me. So you required a Yojimbo, which is a bodyguard. If you ever played Final Fantasy X, you'd know Yojimbo means bodyguard. And I guess Usagi means rabbit or bunny. I don't know, yes. something. All right, good. I'm, I'm sort of on the same page. So, uh, and he, he he's he's kind of concerned. He's like, I don't think your skills alone are going to be able to to uh, you know match this dude. Uh, you're going to need help. And Usagi says, fortunately, we're in a grotto. And he jumps down in the water, grabs you know, splash. I got one. And he pulls out four turtles. 
Four baby turtles. Tells them to, yes, he tells them to lay them out uh, in Japanese. I don't know how you say that, obviously. And he starts like, uh, this is actually a really funny scene. Like he's he's sitting there staring at him intently, and the background gets. I love this. The background gets black, and it starts zooming into his face, his <laughs> eyes, and he looks like really super focused and calm, and you know. And all this and all of a sudden he starts shrieking out all this all these words and like he, he opens up his mouth and there's like fangs hanging out and everything and he's just like super intense and yeah, it says awesome. uh what the it says down there at the bottom the words for void earth fire water and wind so it's like kuka <laughs> chi sweet foo i don't know and usagi's like trembling because it's like it's just so sudden and 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 uh, it's it's that's probably I'd, I'll just go ahead and say up front I like this guy's style all around, mm-hmm. but like he just shifts gears like tonally like it's you know super super intense and then all of a sudden out of nowhere it's just like you, you know complete one eighty it's uh you know he's super focused calm meditative and then all of a sudden just kaboom and he starts just yelling stuff and Usagi's <laughs> shaking up over it in the backgrounds like all these psychedelic Jimi Hendrix looking colors and. <laughs> And he's over there yelling all along the watchtower and <laughs> Nihongo. And and then he says, Kame. And I thought, you know, he's going to do the Kamehameha, but no. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the turtles, like, they appear out of the, the grotto. There's, like, in this, like, psychedelic-looking fire. And Usagi's still like, what the crap? Did you not have warned me? <laughs> and uh, the turtles, when they get there, they don't know what's going on. They're, they're just like... Where the crap are we? What's going on? Whoa, a giant rat. He looks like Splinter. Take a look at that bunny. And then, uh, I guess it's Leo, defense positions. And, and Usagi's like, what are they saying? So the turtles are still speaking like New York. And and uh, <laughs> Usagi and Kakara are still speaking Japanese. And they kind of get into it. Raph rushes. And they're like, wait. And he's like, the best defense is a strong offense. And he gets taken to the cleaners by Kakara. Yeah, somebody else should probably go because I'm probably skipping over a lot of important stuff. No, I just love how Raph, uh, I love his pose at the bottom of page 12 where he just, the way he hits the ground is great. But once again, a giant rap just, just take, mops the floor with these turtles. They can't, they can't beat him, even the splitter lookalikes. But I love Stan Sakai's uh, version of the turtles. They look so detailed and just they're his own style, but they kind of remind me a little bit like Kevin Eastman's turtles. Although, um, gosh, some of the expressions are, are really just unique to Stan Sakai, which I really like. So on the top of page 13, uh, we see the Hang turtles. On, wait one second. Oh, sure. So look at the bottom. Sorry. I think it's the bottom of 12 where Raph hits the ground. Yeah, yeah. Look! Look at what Leo's doing. It's that thing where, like, you know, like you see somebody on the ground, you want to help them up, but it looks so bad, you kind of like draw your hand back, and you're like, <laughs> "Oh, I can't believe I saw that!" <laughs> oh, he broke something. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, you know, Raph, he gets right back up. He goes, "That bunny looks like uh, could take him out with a, a pizza to the face, but that rat, get the rat. I'll take the rabbit." Uh, so Usagi goes, "Leo, don't you recognize me? It's Usagi." And I love this panel here. Wow, this looks great with the backdrop, like this purple vortex backdrop, and, and Leo is striking at Usagi. And he says, Mikey's the only one of us who speaks Japanese, but it's obvious that you're some kind of mutant baddie. And Usagi's like, are you kidding me? 
Uh, are, you are not the Leo that I know. Are you a demon who has possessed him? So Yusagi's a little baffled by Leo's response here. So Yusagi takes a swipe at Leo. He goes, what have you done to my friend Leo? Leo responds, so you're better with the sword than, than you look. Hey, long ears? Which I love Leo kind of throwing some trash talk here. So Yusagi goes, how can you be so bulky? Or how can one so bulky be so agile? And they're having a pretty, <laughs> I love all the onomatopoeia here as they're just going at each other with all the tangs and everything. Man, I love these action scenes. And they're kind of at a stalemate here. And finally, is it Kakai? Kakai, he says, stop. Leo goes, huh, what? Yusagi, he stops too. Kakai says, you are my turtles, but from a different reality than the last time I called you forth. Uh, Leo goes, hey, the rat is speaking English. Yusagi goes, no, he continues to speak my language. So this is very trippy right here. Leo goes, hey, I can understand you too. What has that rat done to us? Leo goes, you said you called us. Why? Uh, and now Kakei tells the story. Time is short. I will tell you everything as we journey. And with that, I'll turn it right back over to you, Ryan. And going back to, to page 15, where uh, Kakura Sensei is like talking to them, um, and, and Leo and uh, Usagi realize they can understand each other. I just like how Raph and Mikey and Donnie are all on the ground nursing wounds uh and <laughs> yeah. kakura is just standing there like nothing happened <laughs> it's like it's like so 2012 splinter you know yes exactly and and oh three splinter they're, they're, they're gangsters <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah so then we go into the exposition dump and again i just i love the way that stan sakai does his stories like the way he paces his issues uh because like this is the part of the comic that should be boring. You know, mm -hmm. it's like now I have to tell you all the stuff and we're going to take like four or five pages to get through um, all of this stuff. But just the way that he draws it, there's always something going on in every panel. It starts off the, the four turtles and Usagi are walking with Kakura down the path and Usagi's asking, you know, what is this object that we must deliver to Kashima Shrine? And, and Donnie's over here with his, you know, analytical brain saying like, yeah, you know, we'd, we'd rather see it or, you know, for, with our own eyes and all that. Even Mikey and, and Raph are kind of having their side conversation. There's these two woodcutters who are like monkey woodcutters who they sh these characters like show up all the time throughout the whole series. They're always just like running around. Uh, and they're just there to comment on stuff and be commented on. Uh, so I love that he threw them in there too. And like Mikey's like, hey, look at those monkey woodcutters and, and ravages. Oh, that's freaky, you know. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, great. like, and, and he throws, and it's like, it's got landscape. It's got like these beautiful mountains and trees. And it's, it's, it, it should be like a really boring panel, but it's not. It's this, just this beautiful panel with all kinds of stuff going on. And then, since Donnie's asking if they can see the stone, Kakura's like, oh yeah, sure, I'll, I'll show it to you. And so he pulls this little tiny pouch out and he pulls out just this basic looking rock and he's like, behold, you know, like with, with so much intensity. And I like every, every single character just gasp. And then they're like, well, it's a rock. Like, what? who cares? Um, and then, you know, Kakura's like, no, it's not just any rock. You know, it's if we don't complete our task, our entire land will be destroyed. And so then he launches into, you know, the mythology 
behind this this large fish. It's a giant catfish named Namatsu, lives in the bowels of the earth under our land. Any movement, even a swish of its tail, will cause disruptions, earthquakes on the surface. And he goes through and he says, you know, countless centuries ago, the great deity, Kashima no Okami, the god of thunder, fought the great creature. Uh, ultimately, he was able to trap him under a massive rock called Kanameshi. And I'm... I'm sure I'm mispronouncing all of this stuff, but it is. <laughs> well, you're what a it good is. company, buddy. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and it's like just this samurai-looking guy, just like in this underwater cavern, fighting just this monstrous catfish. And eventually, he traps him under this giant rock called Kanameshi, and it's on the grounds of Kashima Jingu. So I'm assuming that that's you know the Kashima Shrine is a shrine close to this rock. Kakura says, like, daring a dispute among the gods, Kashima hurled down a bolt that broke off a piece of the sacred rock. And now that the piece has broken off, the whole rock is in danger of breaking. And if the whole rock breaks, then the, the giant catfish will be free and he'll destroy all of Japan because he'll start moving around. It will cause earthquakes and like all of Japan will be destroyed. And that that's pretty much it. Like, that's the whole story. Uh but he goes through and, and he kind of gives a rundown like, yeah, but, you know, the, the rock has passed through many hands. Uh, we get all these different characters from the Usagi continuity. There's like Sasuke and uh, there's a Tengu and a Neko Ninja and stuff. Um, and then he just tells the turtles and, and Usagi like, well, now, you know, the mission. So let's be on our way. And I like how, like the turtles at first are like, um, this is a little like too simple and also kind of weird <laughs> and we don't believe it. Um, but Usagi just like, no, no, he's, he's telling the truth. We got to go. We got to go repair the stone. So like, let's head out. All right. So, uh, let's see. Kara, he says, uh, we must, we must continue on now. Yeah. So like they're, yeah, sorry. Comixology keeps like throwing the banner down over top of their dialogue. <laughs> Let me just go to, here we go. Fish gains more strength each day. Earthquakes occur more frequently. Soon, Namazu will break free of the, uh, the capstone completely and tear this land apart. And like you said, they're they're all unbelievable. And Usagi reassures them. <laughs> I love this line, though. There have been more earthquakes in recent times. We must repair the stone. And Kakara's just, the route will be perilous. Just the, I, I can just imagine them. You know, the route will be perilous. <laughs> <laughs> You're really going to have a hard time with this. <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, going, it's going to be really, really bad. Uh, and Donatello says, I'm sure it's nothing we can't, we can't handle. And Michelangelo says, cool it, Don. This whole world is new to us. So, the, see, that's kind of weird. That seems like their dialogue would be switched around. But they are like alternate dimension turtles. So maybe that fits. And anyway, um, what is this danger you say we'll face? Uh, our opponent is a gaunt figure of unimaginable evil who deludes himself into believing he is a servant of the 10,000 gods of our land. Uh, do you know of whom I speak? And, and they're all just like, you know, what the crap? And Usagi's like, he's got like that head tremble thing going on again. And how do you say that? Is it J J G? I think J, but I, J? that's how they say it in 2012. So that's how I say it, but who knows? He goes, J E I. Hey, when in doubt, spell and it out. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's like, there's got to be a time lapse here, but what is this rock with the 
carving in it or like the the insignia there's like a looks like a lady is carved into this rock is that like an an easter egg or is that a well-established thing or because I, I, he, he, he wouldn't just put it there for no no reason if i had to guess knowing how stan sakai draws his environments he tries to put in Things along the road that would have been on roads in the Edo period, whether it's little statues of like the patron, not the patron saint, but like the lesser deity of children. You know, he puts these little Jizo statues in there. Um, he'll put different little like wooden signs. We see like various Torii gates and stuff like that. So I would imagine that this is probably something that like would have been along the roads in feudal Japan. And so knowing that Stan Sakai just adds it to his stuff nice. cool yeah it's really cool because that's kind of like even though it's not in the center of the page it's like what's most in focus and then you see the turtles and usagi and kakara walking walking up this path and even behind that it's like the landscape behind it is it, it almost looks like it's through like a, a fish eye in the background like it, it looks like it's starting like the clouds are like all swirly and and the mountain looks like it's kind of concave at like the at like the edges if that makes any sense i don't, I don't really know how to get across what i'm, I'm thinking here but it, it's just really cool like it, the whole, this whole thing like it's very light-hearted in the colors and everything but there's a lot of like it just looks psychedelic it's the only way i know how to explain it but not like super trippy just like on the edge of being surreal or something so anyway there must have been a time lapse, or, or maybe not, I don't know, but like it's the very next panel, and they're just walking, and Michelangelo says, is that them? And, oh, oh, wait, sorry, they're up on the mountain. Sorry. Sorry, the, the bad dudes are up on the mountain. And it says, is that them? And somebody says, yes, sorry. I thought they walked into, I, well, the first time I read that, too, I was like, what the crap? They, they just they just skipped over everything, and we're, we're getting to it now, but... <laughs> Because cause the very next panel, it's the bad dudes talking. And I'm thinking, they had this whole conversation with each other while, you know, the turtles are like, is that them? They're right there. But no, <laughs> the bad guys are up on the mountain behind them, talking about them behind their backs. So, that long-eared samurai fights like a demon. That's what the people, this is what the people in the background are saying. They look tough. And then, ugh, they're, they're no match for all of us. And uh, the main baddie, he look, kind of looks like a, kind of like a, Demon Wally Coyote or a Demon <laughs> Chihuahua, maybe some, something. He looks really evil. Uh, I'll take care of him. Uh, the, the others, though, are unknown to me. And this guy must be bad because he's wielding a bow staff. Uh, <laughs> I gathered together all your brigands, all you brigands in this area. Your numbers should be more than enough to overwhelm those strangers. You promised us treasures beyond our imagination. They don't look like they are carrying anything of value. Not all treasures are tangible, and he's got his head kind of turned sideways, which is, it's just, that's just, uh, there's like personality, you know, kind of eking out of the pages. Well, we want to become rich. So far, you've given us nothing but empty promises. And there's like a brigand behind him with like a fish-looking eye patch. It's, <laughs> and he's, he says, uh, I'm an emissary of the gods. They, they send me forth, yeah, to destroy evil in this land. <laughs> and once again, he's got his, his uh, head turned sideways. This country is on the verge of destruction. If there is no more land, there is no more evil. That is why we must stop them. 
You must help me do the work of the gods. You're insane. I'm leaving. Who's coming with me? And the guy starts to walk off. You know, you go that way, I'll go home. And he's just like, <laughs> no one leaves. And he, he just like runs his bow staff through him. And the guy like, like uh, well, that's not bow staff. I guess he's got a spear. He's got something on the end of it. Anyway, he like impales him. And uh, the, the dude just kind of starts. Yeah, he, he like mysticism. He starts to like shrivel up. Kind of looks like something off Rocco's Modern Life. <laughs> and then the very next panel, that looks like if, you know, that's like the zombie version of Rocco's Modern Life. Like his, like, I don't know if it's his tongue falling out or what, but yeah, he just shrivels up. Too. And, yeah. <laughs> and he says, if you will not follow me through greed, you will follow me through fear. And that's, the, I guess that's the second time there's one of those dialogue bubbles with the skull in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, will anyone else leave? And, you know, I, I can just imagine, you know, will anyone else leave? I thought not. You know, <laughs> come on! And so he just turned around. Come on! And they all start following. We must arrive at Kashima Shrine before they do. Gosh, that and, artwork though! Just just as the guy yeah. is slowly decomposing, or actually quickly de- decomposing, so cool! It's like cartoony, but also very graphic. And no, no, no! It was yeah. slowly. That's, oh, okay. that's the whole point of it. Yeah, he just sat there, and everybody watched, and it took like three hours <laughs> three hours they just stood there the whole time <laughs> nobody said a word <laughs> nobody tried to help the and guy. then they were like oh, he's dead <laughs> <laughs> oh so uh yeah a little bit later on uh time passes here gosh i love the just the different i don't know the different settings of of this story and and nothing I'm noticing about this comic too is he doesn't include a lot of panels per page. You know, it, it, I see I got uh, two pages open here, and uh, it's just six total of these two pages, three per page, and the panels don't really intersect in crazy ways or anything like that. It's pretty much your straightforward kind of story um, layout, which is, you know, you just don't see it much this way anymore. So uh, it's it's kind of nice. Anyways, so later on, Raphael goes, "Looks like we've arrived." Kakara says, yes, Kashima Shrine. I think that's Donatello. Wow, this is impressive. Raphael goes, well, that was pretty easy. And it's never that easy. So Leo goes, yeah, I thought it would have been a lot more difficult. Mikey goes, well, yeah, with the fate with the country and all that. Donatello is actually kind of a bit of a letdown. So sure enough, Jay and the guys, they show up. All right. And uh, of course, the turtles, they just jinx themselves. So now the battle is on. Those are the... The brigands and Jay, they, they attack the turtles right away. And I love how um, Gakora gets right to business. All right. So he's he's taking on uh, this crowd. He jumps over them and is attacking them. And uh, the turtles are uh, doing their thing. And Usagi's right by their side uh, fighting off uh, Jay's men. Okay. Then Jay confronts Leo. Uh, he's got a sinister grin here. And Usagi says, Jay, the blade of the gods. Leo goes, he's the leader of this bunch? He doesn't look like much. Leo, quit putting your foot in your mouth. Jeez. So um, uh, the turtles are making short work of uh, the brigand again. And gosh, these layouts look so good. I love um, Kakora's kind of pose here uh, as he's uh, the dude with the sword sticking out of his neck. Yes. Oh, he, he ain't going to be in the next crossover. That's great. Man. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice that. Oh, that's rough. So um, Kakora, he says, get out of my way. And he kicks one of the guys. Leonardo, he goes, he's faster than I thought. Yes, he's fighting Jay. Um, and, you know, they're, they're all uh, trying to get that rock. So Leo goes, he's taking on both of us with ease. And Kakora says, I must hurry. So he grabs the rock out of his pouch. And another earthquake is happening. 
And this time, thanks to Michelangelo, it's a big earthquake. Okay, it's a big one. So you, you flip on over, huge, huge page, or two-page spread here of the uh, the earthquake here. And wow, this is a gorgeous page. I love Donatello's pose as he is <laughs> like almost like pool stick, like just cueing this guy's face really good. I love the trippy uh, trees in the background that just... I don't know. They almost look like they're melting, and the it, it's it's crazy. Just how I don't know. I cannot describe his artwork, but I'm loving it. Uh, it's fantastic. And with that, I will turn it right back over to you, Ryan. Yeah, I love that first double page spread with the the three lesser turtles uh, fighting all the brigands here, um, <laughs> and then going into the uh, the double page spread with you know the main turtle and uh, Usagi as well. <laughs> and yeah, so it, it finishes off, it finishes off the onomatopoeia, you know, it's even, even longer than, than the one that Kirkland had earlier. You know, it's, we get two pages of just rum and then another two pages of, you know, bull and all that. Um, and we have, uh, Usagi and Leonardo like trying to double team Jay and they're, you know, they're having this really hard time and he's just doing his signature, like little laugh that he does, you know, the, <laughs> Um, and then you have Kakara like in the foreground trying to figure out how to put the rock back in the hole of the other rock. Uh, and he's doing something. I don't know. Uh, he has like a, a speech bubble, but it's just like black. Hmm. So I think it's I, like, I'm uh, not sure what he's doing. It, 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 he's doing something like a bunch um, of magical gibberish. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then it cuts back. I guess the, the earthquake has stopped and the turtles were able to, uh, to get their feet again because now we check back in with, with Raph and Mikey and Don. Um, and they've kind of turned the tables now on, on all these other brigands over there. Uh, and a- again, we still have Kakura doing his thing. Uh, just again, trying to figure out how to put the rock back in. It's like the little game that you give to toddlers where it's the, you know, the, the star shape and the circle shape and the, and the square, and you got to put them in and, and he's like trying to figure it out. How do you do this? Um, it's like, it's like hitting it like, like remote batteries are di- dead or something. It's like hitting, you know, they're loose. Uh, and then, yeah. And, uh, Jay manages to like land a blow with his fist on Usagi's head and we get a nice like walk uh, onomatopoeia <laughs> and then uh, Leonardo's behind Jay and he just yells like Usagi I've got your back um, and then Jay turns his attention onto Leonardo and we get more of the the tangs there's like seven of them or, or eight of them here while Usagi is kind of on the ground you know reeling from the the knock to the head and then eventually Jay lands a blow on Leonardo as well uh, and kind of knocks him down. And so all that's left now is is Jay and and Kakara. And so Jay's just kind of uh, walking up behind him all slowly, again, doing his, his typical <laughs> little uh, <laughs> laugh that he does. And, uh, you know, Leonardo yells, no. And it apparently at this point, like Kakara figures out the, the missing ingredient, you know, as he shouts Eureka or well, 10, um, which means heaven in Japanese. And that starts like another earthquake. And so Jay, who was like about to, to administer the coup de gras, like drops his stick thing, um, at least like kind of loses his footing a little bit. It's like Usagi and Leo are like trying to run up and stop him and they can't. And, and like Jay recovers and he like, thrusts his spear towards Kakura. But right as he's doing that, uh, Kakura is like able to get the, 
little piece of rock back into the larger uh, Kanameshi. And there's this big, like, Bakadun, like, explosion type thing. And we see, like, a, a flume of fire. And, like, the trees start swishing. And then eventually they kind of come back to normal. And then we just see laying on the ground is Usagi and Leonardo. Uh, eventually Usagi wakes up because a spider decides to climb on his head. Um, and so I totally identify with Usagi here. He just says like, yuck spider. I hate spiders. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> I like how the spider looks like it's wearing <laughs> shoes. <laughs> yeah. It looks like a nice spider, but yeah. no thanks. <laughs> uh, and, and so all the, the turtles are kind of coming to, and, and they're looking around and Usagi asks, where's Kakira sensei? And you just hear a voice off panel that says here and the turtles are, are reunited now with, with Kakura sensei. Michelangelo notes that it looks like all the brigands and other baddies have run away. Um, and then Usagi notices that like Kakura's hand is all shriveled and, and weak like Dumbledore's. And uh, <laughs> exactly he just says like, it'll, it'll go back to normal. I think, you know, I hope. Yeah. So, so right after that, Leo goes, Hey, what happened to the stone? And Takara says it plunged itself itself deeper into the earth, pinning uh, Namatsu all the more securely. That small bit is all that is exposed on the surface now. Donatello goes, and that broken spear, is that all that's left of Jay? <laughs> he goes, good riddance. So Jay, man, it sounds like he's gone. Leo goes, so the country's safe? The danger's past? Takara says, yes, thanks to all of you. Now, there's no need for the four of you to remain. <laughs> so, I love, I love this, like, all right, all right, your job here is done. Now get out of here. Uh, so uh, Leo goes, I don't know if I'd, I don't know. I'd like to explore this land a little bit. Because <laughs> Kakara goes, eh, that'll be for another time. So, and so we get our little uh, dialogue box there. Leo, he's got a big old smile on his face. All the turtles do. And he goes, you're all right, Usagi. I hope we meet again. Usagi says, as do I. I would like to test my skills against yours. So the turtles are kind of saying their farewells here. They goes, I'm looking forward to it, buddy. I like I like this guy's confidence. I can learn a lot from him in leading my brothers. So Kakura's like, enough small talk. He goes, hiya. And he goes, ku, chi, ka, sui, fu. Which is the same spell that he did earlier. And I love the trippy multicolor background and the distorted faces. It's just so great. I, I really love this art style. <laughs> and now they're Four baby turtles again. Uh, so we get this um, disembodied voice go, Kame! Turn the page, and the final page here, Usagi goes, Where do they go? And Kakura says, Back to where they are needed. Usagi picks up one of the, the, the baby turtles. He goes, I better get you guys a, to a pond. Usagi talks to one of the baby turtles in his hands. He goes, Thank you for saving my country. Farewell, Kakura sensei. Kakura says, farewell, Yusagi-san, until I need you again. And Yusagi just makes his way on. So Kakura, you know, Kakura is like definitely Splinter incarnate. <laughs> like that is his personality to a T. But I, I love this issue, man. I'll get my, my thoughts out of the way right away. This was funny. Uh, the artwork was great. It was violent, yet it wasn't bloody, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. Um, and uh, I just love the simple yet complex which is i know an oxymoron 
style of Stan Sakai's uh, artwork and storytelling. This was really good and definitely makes me want to read more of his stuff. Um, but what about you, Ryan? Yeah, no, I, I loved this issue. Uh, like I said, this was the first comic that I ever read with Usagi. And yeah, I, I, I loved it. Like I had no idea what to expect. I knew that uh, Stan Sakai had written and drawn Usagi for you know decades at that point. Uh, but I was kind of going in expecting like the 2012 version of, of Usagi who was, you know, very matter of fact and, and no nonsense and sort of stuff. And seeing Usagi in this issue, he definitely has like a sense of wonder. Uh, there's like a, a, almost like an innocence to him, despite the fact that he's this seasoned warrior who's, you know, who maybe his swordsmanship is unmatched Leonardo style. Um, mm-hmm. but, I, I just loved how Usagi was presented in this. I loved Jay. Uh, it was great seeing him again since he was like the main antagonist of the, the crossover in 2012. And then uh, just seeing how Stan Sakai drew the turtles. Like you said, Rob, like they're very Eastman-esque. They're, almost, they're even Laird-esque, you know, like the, the early Mirage days when they would uh, like kind of trade off between their art. Like it's definitely a marriage of those two styles. And yet at the same time, it's wholly Stan Sakai's artwork and, and just seeing them in this world was, was fantastic. I loved this issue. And, and yeah, this is kind of what kickstarted my desire to read Usagi Yojimbo. And, and I haven't regretted it. I've probably since 2020, uh, two years, two and a half years, I've probably binge read the entire series like four or five times. It's that good. Wow. No way. So is that all on com- Comixology? I know a lot of it is. Uh, and, and I know oh, that a lot of it is on Comixology Unlimited. Uh, so offline, uh, I definitely help you get like the starting point and, and what you should read and in what order. Although, like I said earlier, you can really read Usagi just pick up an issue and read it and you will have everything you need in there. As you saw in this one, this was 40 pages. It read like it was 15 pages. It was so fast and easy to read. And every single character is so well-defined. You get that in any issue of Usagi. Uh, So yeah, Kirkland, man, what about you? What are your thoughts on this issue? Oh, gee, look, me what? Rob and the other guy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Looks like the cavalry has arrived. Cavalry, me what? Yeah, yeah, the cavalry's just turned out so fat and so. <laughs> okay, uh, you scholars. What have you done? Hopefully not much. We came back to 1985 as soon as we heard you were gone. 1980? Are you kidding me? We got sent back to 1980. We've been waiting for you for like a decade. Sammy, Sammy, what's your name, the other guy? Jeez Louise, what a dingus. Hey, who's <laughs> this guy? You trying to replace us, Rob? I'm Ryan. I do the Talkin' Snicked podcast. Holy crap, Wagon, you're the X-Men guy. We are big fans, man. Hey, you think we could get your autograph? We have, look, we could probably collaborate. We have all kinds of projects we've, we've done, and I'd love for you to see them. I mean, check this out. Oh, open that paper, Rob. It's in the, in the entertainment section. Uh, Clue? Yeah, one of the greatest movies of all time. What's your point, Ice Clown? 
Keep reading, Rob. Uh, based on the foresightful screenplay by Marceline's Playground. Are you kidding me? That is my favorite movie of all time. My toe! My toe! Little, little toe. I swear if you ruin this like you do all of your other movie... Ugh. What are you talking about, boy? That stuff really happened, I think. No, they are movies and video games. Great movies and video games, and you make a mockery of them. I mean, A Star Fox Dream in Big Trouble in Little China. That's crap. So you do listen to the show. I stand as a microphone over there. Of course we listen to our own show, Rob. I the other day I'm very particular about seeing how Pepto-Bismol I can make the show. <sighs> I think that you probably mean abysmal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, X-Men guy. The point is that the playground don't sell out for nobody. And we, 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 I, I forgot what I was talking about. Uh, anyway, you, you turn that mic off now, Rob. Well, did you save Meatwad? Oh, yeah. Last week he was going to eat some french fry that looked like crap. A little funky. I slapped it out of his hand. Sure, wait. Disaster averted. Whatever. Look, when we get back, you need to just stop it with this podcast junk. It'd be different if you're professional like Power Hour, but you're not. Yeah, well, maybe you guys could be like Ninja Turtle nerds. They're pretty cool guys. Yeah, be like them in their off-season when they aren't doing shows at all. <laughs> just leave the actual shows to them. Podcasts really aren't your thing. Joke's on you. It's not a podcast. It's a radio drama. <sighs> okay, well, whatever. We've got to get back. Let's Let's wrap this up. Okay. Well, Ryan, um, sorry about that. Uh, so, yeah, Kirkland, man, what about you? What are your thoughts on this issue? Uh, well, you know, probably like a, I don't know. I mean, the art was, the art was pretty good. And it, Someone trying to zoom around the time. Yeah, yeah, I got 20 day invasion. Look, shut up and get in the time portal. Well, as I was saying before, uh, <laughs> probably like a four, four and a half out of five, four out of five. I, I like it pretty well. Oh, wait, no, I go on the 10 scale, so eight and a half, nine out of 10. I really like the colors. Colors are real pretty. Uh, the only thing I'm docking it for is Captain Planet never showed up. He was summoned twice, and he never came around. <laughs> but other than that, it's real. Actually, I really like the, the um, I like the way that the turtles look in this. Me too. They're just, they're very just, I, don't, I know they're, cartoony is kind of like a, probably like a cliched word, but they're they're very just, I don't know how to explain it. It's not like, like some of the stuff we read, it looks like kind of like, you know how MTV had the cartoons and they were kind of like grungy looking art. Mm -hmm. It's like that same deviation from what you would think that the turtles look like, except it's in the opposite direction. So it's like, it's not grungy. It's like, it's like a sweet and saccharine looking is, is, I mean, that's the kind of like the, everything in this, like, Universe seems like it'd be something on like a, I don't know, it'd be printed on like a, a thin mint or something. Not like visually, but it just like everything <laughs> just looks so like like when somebody dies, there's no blood. Like there's all kinds of crazy like people getting impaled and <laughs> swords crammed through their throats, but there's no blood. You know, it's just like everything is like really uh, it just sweet. That's the only way I know how to put yeah. it. Like there's there's yeah, it's, it's there's there's nothing in this that screams. Um, despair or anything like that oh it's great it's great i mean it's it's hard to describe it it's like his stuff is um it's deceptively simple um or or maybe in reverse it's 
it's not simple at all, but it, it comes across like it is. But it's just I love his art style and his storytelling and the humor kind of in in interposed with all the violence you see. Uh, so I love this. I will definitely, like you were saying, Ryan, that this I totally understand why this got you into the series, and I will definitely be looking into this with uh, Comics Dollars Unlimited um, because I love this, and it sounds like a series you can just jump in at any point. Um, and I, I definitely want to see more of this. But yeah, guys, uh, I guess that that's it for this particular crossover. Uh, Ryan, it was so fun to break it down with you, my friend. And uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to reading more Yojimbo stuff here in the future. Uh, I guess before we, we wrap up this, this episode, uh, Ryan, uh, real quick, would you mind telling our listeners where they could find you and your podcast and all the awesome projects you're involved in? Oh, sure. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Um like I'd mentioned earlier, I'm a big X-Men fan, big Wolverine fan, and, and Robin Kirkland had mentioned that I had a podcast. So I do a podcast called Talkin' Snicked, the Wolverine show, uh, usually releases on Wednesdays, although sometimes I'll take some time off in between monthly themes and, and what have you. Uh, but yeah, I usually just go through, uh, I'll, I'll pick a topic for each month, something that has to do with Wolverine, uh, whether it's a, a part of his backstory or something that's emotional or, or meaningful to him. Like one month it was, it was just different samurai stories in Japan. Um, and then in, in other, uh, other months it was like stories that had to do with his children and, and just certain things like that. Um, and I'll go through, uh, a comic book or two or three on, on each episode and just kind of walk through and, and comment on why it's so important to the character of Wolverine, where it fits in and in, in continuity and things like that. And then, of course, I have a secondary show on the same feed that I release um, every Saturday morning called Saturday Morning Snicktoons. Um, and that is a show where I bring on a guest host. Um, and for the first hour or so of the show, we kind of just have a discussion about X-Men fandom. We'll, we'll exchange a top five list or talk about some sort of concept from X-Men that we uh, both really like and something that we have in common. And then the second half of that show, usually the second hour or so, we do a breakdown of the next X-Men the Animated Series episode. So right now we are uh, about halfway through season three. So that's kind of where I'm at with wow. uh, with Snicktoons and with Talkin' Snicked. Oh, and I had such a good time last time, man. So uh, we, we, we were there for some of season two, and I just... It was one of the best experiences I've ever had being on a podcast, even though we had to record the second episode twice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. It's a high-quality show. Um, and it's kind of reignited my my love for the X-Men uh, quite a bit. And I've uh, been reading a little bit of Astonishing X-Men as well, thanks to your recommendation oh, nice. there, Ryan. It's been <laughs> awesome. And then I listened to – I'm only on, I think, episode four of the long – the Long Night, the audio drama or the radio drama of the Wolverine storyline. Loving it. Super professionally done. So I wouldn't have ever discovered these things if I hadn't listened to your podcast. So again, that's Talking Snicked. Fantastic show. Uh, anything you could ever uh, want to learn about, not just Wolverine, but the X-Men as a, as a franchise and the, the cartoon as well. But yeah, guys, uh, I guess uh, with all that said, you can always send us an email. Our email address is turtlesforeverpodcast at gmail.com. You can give us a call on our Turtlecom hotline at 865-309-4875. You, know, you can follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I think that's about it. I think that's about it. Uh, we will be talking about 
Tales of TMNT issue, I think it's eight now, called Virus. That's coming up. We're going to try to talk about the most current IDW comics here soon. Uh, we have just finished with issue 128, so we'll be moving on to 129 and 130, and hopefully even talking about the free comic book day issue. So that's coming up down the pike. And we're going to be doing some more time traveling because these interns, they cannot be trusted. <laughs> so uh, most likely we're going to be all over the place for these Turtles Forever episodes. And um, you know what? We're okay with it. There was a lot of great turtle stuff all throughout the years. Lots of different great eras. So you know what? I welcome that change. But guys, I guess the question we all want to know to close out another Totally Tubular episode of Turtles Forever is what type of pizza are we going to have today here in 1985? Letting Ryan choose. Ryan, what do you think? You're the guest of honor. <laughs> oh, my bad. Uh, I'm going to go with a Reuben pizza. Ooh, look at oh, pizza. Yeah. Oh, okay. That sounds good. I'll take my Tums afterwards, but it sounds wonderful. <laughs> I made my favorite sandwich, even though I don't eat sandwiches anymore. They're delicious. <laughs> there you go. All right. I like it. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for listening. Ryan, thank you again for coming on, man. Well, we uh, we definitely want to do this again very soon. Absolutely. And, um, and guys, on behalf of Cocanardo and myself and Ryan, here's to hope you enjoy your friends, your family, and a mega slice of Reuben and Catfish Pizza. Cowbunga, dudes. Uh, all right. And see. Yo, Ishii, Ishii, Kurosawa. There it is. I forgot, I forgot about the Japanese. I told you I'd get it this time. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> keep it jumping, keep it pumping. Better when you start something. Keep it jumping, keep it pumping. Better when you start something. It's the hour of the party, the hour of the beat. Oh no, he left. Hopefully, it'll come right back in. It's that time of the show when we start talking about Power Rangers. <laughs> Here we go. So I figured out, I think I figured out why I was always Leo. Because in Turtles in Time, I always thought when you get the pizza and they get the spin attack, <laughs> how the crack you going to cut somebody in half with a bow staff? <laughs> or a stick, as I just called it at the time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, right. the sword is the only thing. It's like, that's a helicopter blade. Wait, you know? Yeah, it's like, that's the only thing die. I could... <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, I always wondered why, too. Like, if you look at the pizza boxes, they look like little bombs. Hey, Ryan, you, you, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear. I'm Perfect. so sorry. I don't know what happened there. Oh, no worries, man. No worries. Sometimes, you know, one of us will freeze or something. All you got to do is, <laughs> in theory is uh, just log right back in and it should work. It's it's worked for us a few times. Although the one time it didn't work was on your show. So. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, am I cursed? Or like, what's going on here? Oh, hang on one second, man. So when you were gone, we talked about Power Rangers. What do you want to talk about while he's gone? <laughs> Power Rangers works. <laughs> oh, I like the Power Rangers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, no, Rob, we weren't talking about Power Rangers. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. But well, that's totally fine if you are. <laughs>